Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, we have Rick McElroy, who is the Principal Cybersecurity Strategist for VMware Carbon Black. Rick, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. Super happy to be here. Definitely. You got the black theme going there. Is that part of the carbon black kind of contrast? It's all part of the mystique. The mystique. It's all part of the mystique. Gotcha. And I, I see the, the, you need one of those, those pictures where something pops out when you cross your eyes behind you, like a shark right. or something, you know, I think that would be a I perfect. Have a, uh, I have a cool comrade hat next to me to remind me of, uh, you know, things like the malicious attackers that are out there. So. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So, um, so. Rick, you've been with, tell us a little about, a bit about Carbon Black, but I know you got your start in the Marine Corps. So we want to know kind of about you in general and your background and uh, how that relates to Carbon Black. Yeah, I enlisted in the Marine Corps at 17, um, ran off, did that for a few years, uh, met an amazing woman who uh, didn't, didn't obviously want to marry somebody who was being deployed all the time. So I decided to transition out um, and I got some really good advice uh, as I was leaving, and um, my, my stepfather's actually been in, you know, he was in uh, Navy data processing, and so he had transitioned out, and, uh, was over at a defense contractor, and so he was like, you should really start looking into networking, and at the time, that was like a huge growth industry, and um, I liked networking, um, but I liked breaking networks more, and that's what I found to be, uh, I, I think, to have a proficiency in, and so Went to work for a company, started doing a bunch of red teaming against um, a, a lot of the uh, dot-com booming companies and e-commerce companies. And then I went over to uh, Booz Allen to do that uh, more formally uh, against the U.S. government. And uh, and subsequent to that, I started building security programs out in San Diego. And that journey um, led me to finding and falling in love with a piece of technology. Uh, that piece of technology was Carbon Black. I met the co-founders. I was really interested in the outcomes that they were driving out there and the amount of visibility they were able to give defenders. And uh, I've been here seven years and, and now as, as part of the acquisition with VMware, got a couple of years at uh, VMware under my belt and um, it's it's been a really uh, interesting, fun journey. Interesting. So tell us about um, Carbon Blacks, you said visibility. Tell us about the products and what, what that means and and just because some people might not be familiar with what that product does or what that company does. Yeah, absolutely. So Carbon Black um, pioneered a few technologies, um, one around um, application control, right? So still the number one product in the market um, out there, protecting things like uh, legacy systems and essentially uh, taking an endpoint, putting it into a positive security model and only allowing good node binaries to run. So that has huge security efficacy um, for a bunch of our customers that are out there. And then um, Carbon Black pioneered um, endpoint detection and response. Right, so full visibility into uh, um, the attack kill chain that attackers were executing from an endpoint perspective, um, and now we've seen uh, uh, over the last couple of years. Now the industry is moving towards XDR. There's a whole lot of uh, endpoint detection and response vendors um, that are out there in the space as well, which I think confirms uh, the need uh, in the market still to have a full picture of what's happening inside of that environment to try to get the context 
and the behaviors that the, the attackers execute and then move to disrupt them, whether that's preventative or from a detection and response perspective. Interesting. So and now, yeah, and, and now we're keenly interested in working in uh, multi-cloud security, right? So being able to enforce security controls, have that context and visibility, regardless of the multiple clouds that are in use inside of an environment. Interesting. So, and, and one of the things we kind of want, wanted to talk about a conference coming up to Converge to Accelerate. Um, tell us about your, your involvement there and what, what you have going on. Yeah, so um, it's November 9th, right? Uh, uh, sat down with a, with a bunch of really smart folks like Joyce Hunter, Executive Director of the Institute for Critical uh, Infrastructure Technology, Paul Brown, CISO of, of Henry Ford Health Systems, Robert Wood, CISO for the Centers for uh, Medicare, Medicaid Services. Really, the conversation was focused around um, current state of um, cybersecurity in healthcare uh, and uh, future discussion around some pending regulations uh, and how uh, I think healthcare organizations and healthcare providers can be compliant and secure hand in hand uh, and move forward to really help battle the adversaries in the space because um, we know it's having a massive detriment to to patient care whenever you know a ransomware incident occurs or some other type of uh, a compromise or breach inside of those environments. All right, so we're going to take a break here from our sponsors. So we come back and we'll talk about uh, both of those as we get back here. We'll be right back. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking with Rick McElroy, uh, the Principal Cybersecurity Strategist at VMware Carbon Black. Um, and uh, Rick, before the, before the break, you kind of gave your background and uh, what uh, Carbon Black does, and we'll talk a little bit more about those and uh, the conference that we're both kind of involved with here coming up for healthcare. Um, but talk about what you do uh, at Carbon Black. What is it, your position, what's... What are you seeing lately? Because I was really interested in that that human aspect and the the burnout of what we're seeing. So let's talk about that with your your what you're been working with. Yeah, I lovingly refer to myself as the mayor of Securityville. Um, so so I think uh, forward facing people know me from uh, any, any of the mainstream media that's out there. You know, we'll we'll get out there on CNN on BBC talk about um, some of these breaches. More importantly. Because uh, I think problem admiration is done too much in the industry, and we really talk about effective strategy, strategies to battle these adversaries and cyber criminals, right? And and so um, I'm always active out in the community, whether that's on um, Twitch, you know, doing live streams, whether it's podcasts, webinars. Really, again, trying to I think educate um, business leaders, uh, information security leaders, and the general public. And uh, internally to the company, we're focused around a messaging strategy, product strategy. Uh, and then working as trusted advisors with our customers and prospects to really help them uh, mature what they're doing from a cyber perspective and get more resilient as a result. Mm -hmm. 
the the human aspect, though, we had talked about your focus on kind of restructuring after the pandemic. Um, Where are you going with that one? Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, I, I think if you look around on LinkedIn, if you look around on Twitter, if you're paying attention to the people behind the technology and process in information security, um, it's been a long road. Uh, and the pandemic exacerbated that, right? So now we have uh, an ever-expanding uh, um, you know, threat landscape from the attacker's perspective with some new innovation. We've all expanded our threat service as we needed to spin up things like cloud services to allow you know, our employees uh, uh, and people to work from uh, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then we've blended uh, our home and professional lives. And so I think um, individuals themselves are finding it hard to unplug. Uh, I think a lot of us uh, adding the pandemic and other uncertainties into it um, are just a little unclear about like, when when does this problem start to get better? When do we start to get uh, relief as defenders? Um, and so we have a whole uh, uh, effort we're gonna champion um, in October, coming up for Cybersecurity Awareness Month, you're going to see us put a whole lot of content around um, self-care, care for your teams, um, actually, you know, creating a program around people resiliency and not just technology res- resiliency for your organization. You know, I see so much focus on on workforce. Let's get more people into the workforce. Um, do you do you think it's it's a lack of you know not enough people, not enough talent that we're all run ragged, or is it you know, the pandemic and, and the tax surface, like you said, you know, what, what solves the problem is, are, are you, are you thinking that, Hey, we just uh, take a step back. I mean, technology is not going to take a step back. We're not, you know, you know, when do we get that break? Yeah. Well, look, I, I certainly from a, um, you know, new to cyber, right. Uh, I, I'm lucky. I work with a bunch of individuals that are uh, and, and organizations that are focused around solving this problem. Um, I mean, you see this, uh, at the top of the country, right? The the uh, you know uh, some of the executive orders that have come out, have come out around cyber are really about getting you know fifty thousand, a hundred thousand people into seats. Um, I think for a long time we weren't partnering with recruiting teams, um, and so what I've seen is is a huge conversation and huge movement in the space um, to start to make sure um, that we're looking as broadly as possible for candidates and not just strictly looking at. Uh, people who have graduated um, four years with a computer science degree. So I think that's hugely encouraging. And that will, at a future point, provide some relief to the people. Um, But also, I think some of the leaders need to really think about their teams um, and start to apply some of the models we've seen for first responders out there, right? So first responders, when they go through a traumatic issue, um, there's, you know, Marine Corps does this. There's a, a lesson learned period. Uh, there's safety stand downs that occur as a result, right? You, you kind of, as a team, um, talk about what could be better, um, take a little bit of a break and then refocus back on the job. And, and we don't often get to do that in security. And so I think one of the areas um, that, that leaders are thinking about that I'm seeing it being adopted um, is this idea around job rotation, right? So sitting somebody inside of a sock for, uh, you know, two years on end, they're probably going to leave your organization. Um, but it's like, can, can we start to um, give people a different, you know, work life mm-hmm. for a quarter or a couple of quarters, right? And then um, you really start to build resiliency among skills in your team too. So if one person leaves, you know, the team is, is better uh, adapted picking up some of those responsibilities. Interesting. Um, do you do you see a certain like when when we hear a lot about certain demographics need certain different things? Like uh, uh, younger people sometimes have a you know, want to rotate more than, you know, like three to six months and they're ready to rotate. 
other people like, hey, I like this job for for indefinitely. This is what I like to do, and I don't want to move around. Uh, how do you how do you address that? Yeah, well, look, I, I think as a leader, you have to know your people first, right? You have to know. I think get to know them, get to know what motivates them. Get, uh, you know, is it uh, a public acknowledgement? Some people love that, right? Is it uh, um, a bonus check? Mm -hmm. Some people are purely coin operated, right? Is it more responsibilities and and moving up the leadership ladder? And so I think for each individual, you're going to have to, um, you know, look amongst your team and and plot those out. But I do think, um, it look, it's important to be uncomfortable too. So so for folks who are, hey, I like this job and and I, I've got some comfort in that. I think shaking things up a bit um, is helpful there. Uh, so again, I think knowing your people and and being able to, uh, um, you know, understand their strengths and weaknesses, and uh, and coach them through some of the weaknesses and uh, lean into some of the strengths is, is going to be needed. And and that's really you're going to need a skill evaluation along with some motivational evaluation of your people to understand that. Interesting. So, um, how big is Carbon Black? How many people are employed there? Yeah, so VMware is massive. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, thirty-eight thousand employees was the, the the last count that I took, and and so so yeah, it's a a very large organization. Uh -huh. um, but it's I have to say it's pretty amazing some of the stuff that they work on. I mean, we get to see a bunch of it, and um, just just as a pure engineering geek, it is really cool to be part of a, a software engineering company like VMware. Yeah, I was just wondering if that if this problem is more unique to the growth that you guys have experienced. Or do you see it industry, you know, across the industry where there's there's that kind of burnout or is it the nature of the technology even like a lot of companies it's like this is all we have. This is the job. You know, if you're going to come work here or if you're going to get this degree or be in this industry, this is what you got to enjoy. Well, I think that's part of it. Right. Um, I think those of us who have been, you know, I've been doing this for 24 years now. I'm um, like we kind of understood that walking into it. Um, but we also understood at some point we have to start to put some things in place because it's not sustainable as a group of humans, right? And so I, 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 I would say, you know, uh, right around probably 10 years ago, so you could start to see some of these discussions come out at RSA and Black Hat and even DEF CON and, and DerbyCon had talks around um, mental health and, and well-being of individuals. And, and so I do think um, the leaders who kind of went through that were like, all right, we need to do some stuff to change it for the next generation. Because mm -hmm. after all, it's a job. And we've normalized a whole bunch of IT jobs. Sure, people still have pagers. Sure, they're still on call. But it's not every night like it was in the 90s. Um, stuff just doesn't break that often. And, and so I think even um, looking at our uh, brothers and sisters in IT and applying you know, some of those uh, lessons learned back to security, because it should, at the end of the day, be a job. We should be allowed to take vacations and spend time with our families. And I know it attracts a lot of um, folks who have, um, you know, like to be the hero. Right. Um, you, you know, we, we're protectors. That's what we do. Uh, but at some point uh, in, a, in a long career, that is absolutely you're going to run into a buzzsaw and need to manage that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Rick McElroy, 
And uh, we were before the break uh, talking about the burnout in the industry and things that uh, uh, VMware Carbon Black is doing for, uh, you know, kind of a new new initiatives. And starting in October, a lot of information going to come out. So what are you recommending? What's the path forward? What types of things are you putting in place for this kind of this people resilience, you called it? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, and, and these aren't my plans, um, but I, I happen to think it's a VMware employee. They do some pretty amazing stuff. So first thing, unlimited PTO. Look, you, your people are going to do the work. Allow them to actually take time. A lot, you know, sometimes if you've been working for 17 years straight, I think you earned a month off, right? And your organization should support that. Um, secondarily, I think um, the, our people care about each other. So when we have issues, when we're feeling stressed or burnout, like we can raise those issues to our bosses and not feel like there's going to be some retribution there, right? That that they're um, and then and then our wellness program is pretty amazing. So look, as an organization level, put in a wellness program. You know, allow your employees uh, uh, to be reimbursed for things like um, exercise equipment or gym memberships or uh, uh, meditation sessions. You know, whatever those individuals choose to do from a, a de-stress burnout perspective. Like I can see the uh, uh, the impacts internal to the company, and it, it's uh, it's a night and day difference amongst a lot of the organizations that I do get to visit uh, and speak to. And then I would say, um, just at an individual level, like turn your phone off. Definitely have some times where uh, you take a tech break. And I mean, mm -hmm. for me, it is uh, going out fishing in the Pacific Ocean. It's going to the desert for three days uh, where there's no cell towers or mobile towers, and and just get a little bit more touch in with reality. And a less in touch with um, our digital realities, right? Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. I, I live in Colorado, so we have lots of non-coverage areas. And it's like, you always got to know where the non-coverage area is because it's like addictive. You if, if your phone beeps, vibrates or whatever, boom, you're off. And you can't back away from it unless it just stops. So you got to plan to go to those places where it stops. Yes, yes. Because because we can't, you know, sometimes I don't trust myself to not look at my phone, right? <laughs> So. Yep, I know exactly. Um, so, and that that kind of segues good into you know the the healthcare, the the converge to excellence, um, and uh, what what that conference and and you you're making a presentation there. I guess you're personally presenting. So, tell us about what what people going to that and would intend to hear, and and what types of things that uh, who who might want to come to to listen to, to what's going on there. Well, look, I mean, unfortunately, healthcare finds themselves um, under assault on mul multiple battlefronts, right? So there's a real world pandemic, uh, and then there's a pandemic of extortion, as I like to refer to it, that's occurring inside of um, healthcare environments. And uh, it's having massive impacts. I mean, look, another article came out today that, that that's really talking about um, even the inability to uh, deliver high patient services occurring. Look, we know there's been cases um, uh, in, in in certain countries uh, where people had to be transferred to hospitals in the time that it took them, they couldn't receive that critical care, all of those things. The boards care, obviously the public cares and the government really cares as well. And so typically when that happens, you start to see an increase in the amount of regulation that, that's occurring um, inside of those environments. Um, they also have, uh, uh, I, I think a, a, a huge secondary one, which is a consolidation and a, and, a, and a vacuuming that's occurring inside of uh, uh, healthcare, where you have you know large organizations that are scooping up a whole bunch of insecure ones and and, and coming up with plans for those. And then of course, um, you know discussions around um, you know even between individuals and the, and their own PHI and and the exchange of that in something like 
a digital app to cross borders, you know, to prove that um, vaccines are real uh, and the prolifer the massive proliferation of medical devices. And, and so look, I think whenever you have this many forces at work, um, you, you are gonna see governments involved. You are gonna see um, an increase uh, in the amount of regulations. Now, I think what we have to do about that is influence those people to, to clearly have them understand both the intended consequences and the unintended consequences of those. And, and one of the unfortunate uh, unintended consequences typically um, with an increase in cyber regulation is that um, money has to come from somewhere. And so if I have to be compliant to do business, I'm gonna spend money to be compliant to do a business. And sometimes the budget that comes from is security. Now I do think um, for leaders in, inside of those organizations, sitting down with those compliance teams, with the internal audit teams and driving a plan together is gonna put you uh, uh, more closely uh, on a path to success than kind of going at it alone. Oftentimes compliance teams are buying tools um, to do audits. The IT team already has something to facilitate that or security already has uh, access to the data. Um, and, and so I think getting together in those cases to try to uh, drive real effective, good cybersecurity regulations for um, the healthcare industry um, is a discussion that has to be had, um, but uh, it's going to be incumbent on those of us who who educate those folks to make sure they they truly understand what that means. You know, the interesting thing in in everything you said, I was listening for. I, I chair a group on privacy and looking at what is the the requirement. You know, what's the world? How how's the world handle digital privacy? Um, and it's almost like we spend. And I heard you keep talking about regulation, compliance. What you know, taking budget away from the the, the planning to do what it has to do now. And so long, so often I see us in that endless loop. Um, and I was waiting, waiting to say, you know, where does privacy fit in? I heard you say PII one time. Um, but the, the, what ethical, other than just, you know, we, when we look at companies following the regulatory requirements, following them, what, what they have to do to comply, what ethical requirements do they have to the, the privacy, the rights of, the mass amount of people who's who basically are the the targets of everything they're doing. Yeah, well, I think it's in flux, and it depends on um, the nation that we're speaking of. Frankly, frankly speaking, some nations want full access to all data. Um, you know, obviously, with the goal of a better surveillance state, right? Uh, I think Europe has has clearly chosen that the individuals own that data. I think the U.S. Um, with things like CCPA and, you know, all of the, uh, the new privacy acts are moving towards it. But I think fundamentally what I think about is um, if, if, if we could have done a better job and won a few more battles um, when it came to privacy and started this journey sooner, um, I actually think we'd be more secure as a result. Um, and so I do think um, when healthcare organizations consider these types of data, consider the types of data exchanges that are going to have to occur amongst multiple healthcare providers in, in that supply chain, um, they should really think about the minimum data set they need to collect and what happens if I want to remove it as a customer and go to another provider, right? And we're pretty bad about getting rid of data, you know, mm -hmm. frankly speaking, um, you know, I, 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 up until, you know, recent um, GDPR laws, like there was no request you could make to, to have your data deleted, right? And, and so I do think, um, converging security and privacy, again, into um, a singular conversation, because I, I don't see how you can do one without the other or should do one without the other. I, you know, I've um, been leaning yeah. more towards the approach of 
we have to define privacy to know what to implement with security. We've been going after security saying, well, we'll just protect the data. But what is the requirements that the requirements on protecting it are what the privacy requirements are, whether the privacy of the individual, the privacy of the company, the privacy of the link, the privacy of that that data storage repository. What requirements are there around that should drive security? Maybe we need to turn that conversation around and say privacy is the requirement for security. And it really is. I mean, if you think about it, right, um, you know, even crypto, what, do you, what are you attempting to do? You're, you're attempting to keep something private between one or more parties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I look at it like um, it's, it, it's, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. They should operate together. And But I do think uh, had we won a few more of those battles, I think what you see from a nation state perspective and leveraging these large data sets that they've stolen um, to further, you know, efficacy on um, other attacks um, might not have existed. Right. And then um, I think I think uh, we would have put some better plans in place for for when the privacy of, of that data was broken. Right. Yeah, I guess guess I guess I could see that. Um, but, you know, companies that have a business model have making revenue off of whatever they're doing need to say, you know, what do I need to do? And I think that's what leads us to this mentality of what do they say? I have to abide by what law is there and keep making our business model work by meeting right. that. Yeah, but I do think that, you know, the tech ethics side of it uh, is imp- is hugely important and for healthcare, massive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've seen people, you know, uh, uh, doctor's offices get ransomed and then they they go after the psychiatric patients for extortion because they have all the recordings, you know, they have uh, what whatever issues they were talking to their counselors about. And, you know, as, as an individual who encourages people to seek out counseling and, and mental health care, like that's that's detrimental um, to, to individuals, right? It should be a private, private conversation between you and a provider. And now we've, due to the pandemic, we put it all online. Right. Yeah. So I don't even have to go to Reverend our doctor's office. appointments online. Yeah. Like yeah. who's listening in the middle of that? I had my first couple of those and I was like, I feel more like I'm on an interview than like I'm in a session. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it felt just like this, you know, but um, in, in kind of wrap, moving toward the end here, anything that uh, you want to put out about uh, how people can can get involved with either the conference with Carbon Black or with other efforts, go ahead and do so. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, if you want to register for the conference, you can go to HTTPS. I love when conference registrations have the S on it, right? Uh, and I'm going to spell it out. C-O-N-V-2-X-Symposium.com. You can register. A whole bunch of great content going on around that. Um, I would say look for a, a whole bunch of content that we're going to be putting out in October, as well as um, you know LinkedIn live sessions with folks like the mental health hackers. Uh, we're we're going to be doing some some Twitter spaces um, again to really show. I think a lot of uh, uh, leaders in the or in, in in information security really just trying to lead this conversation and improve some people's lives from a, a work life balance perspective. Definitely uh, love love to hear that, and you know it's the first time that that's come up on on New Cyber Frontier. We talk about it because we've been on the other side of just heads down and probably approaching burnout. So it's a good deep breath to take and kind of sit back and say, yeah, there is this other part and we're, I guess, you know, we're all human, right? Even though we like to think we're a, a robot most of the time, a lot of us techie people. No, we, I, 
And I'll just say me, well, I, I love my InfoSec family. It's been um, an amazing, an amazing career with an amazing bunch of people that continues to, uh, you know, push me to learn more, uh, to continue the journey, to, to support all of those things. And um, I'm just paying it forward. So. Definitely. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining today, Rick. And uh, you have a great day. Hey, you too. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.